Hello, welcome back to the True Crime Guys podcast. I'm Lauren. And I'm Michael. How's everybody doing? Ready to go back down under, mate? Oh, dude, always. Always ready to hear some of your Australian accent, dude. Yeah, so this week we're yeah. going down to Rockhampton in Rockhampton. Australia. Yeah, mm-hmm. Rockhampton. And uh, we're covering a horrific serial killer yet again. But there is an interesting twist to this one. There's something, there's a scenario in this episode of which we've never seen. After all these episodes, after all these years, we've done, what, yeah. 250, 300 episodes, something like that. At I think least. you've seen it all at this point, right? You know, dismemberment, right. <laughs> cannibalism, you name Bodies it. and barrels. So you know. and all, just yeah. in that, that's just Australia alone. Yeah, wrongful convictions. We thought we've seen just about every possible scenario in crime play out right. in front of us. But we've never seen someone testify at their own murder trial, meaning the person who was allegedly murdered yeah. shows up during the trial. and yeah. Ooh, that seems detrimental. Clearly, I was not case. murdered. Clearly. <laughs> Here I am. That so. that seems detrimental to the case, though, right? I mean, yeah. How do you argue against that? Well, in this scenario, this this uh, this serial killer had killed many more and still went down for those. But uh, one of the victims, yeah, showed up it's, and it's, proved that they were in fact not murdered. So <laughs> what a twist! Yeah, what a twist! This seems like some kind of bad like crime drama on TV, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm interested to get into this case. I'm going to be learning about this case like the rest of you because I was not able to study this week. So this should be interesting. Usually, I'm I'm able to get some good study time in. So I'm I'm learning yeah. about the the Rockhampton rapist along with you. Nice. So this should I, be fun. I think there's podcasts out there that do that. That's like their shtick, right? Every week, they one person yeah. presents a case and the other person's hearing it for the first time and they give their natural reaction. So we'll do our best impression of those type of shows. There we go. There we go. Who knows? I mean, Maybe there's been be a better. few like this before. Let's let's be honest, Michael. Where you're oh, like yeah. asking questions, and I'm like, "Did he study Wait, this did at you all?" Study because <laughs> you don't know anything. Yeah. yeah. No. I count on you. I count on you. All we right. count on you, Lauren. <laughs> well, let's dive into this thing. I, I think I did a good job on the crime line. I studied this one hard, so I know my facts. As always, so hit me with the questions as you will. Let's do it. In the late 90s, Rockhampton was the hunting ground for Queensland's worst serial killer, Leonard John Fraser. Fraser was nicknamed Lenny the Lunatic. This was before moving to Rockhampton while serving time for dozens of offences, including assaults and rapes in New South Wales and Queensland. He should never have made it to Rockhampton, where he became the state's first serial killer. His chilling criminal history spanning 30 years in Queensland and New South Wales. No sooner would he be released, he'd re-offend. He was caught spiking girls' drinks and run out of town. Then in Rockhampton, his worst crimes were committed. Sylvia Benedetti, Beverly Lego, Julie Turner and Kira Steinhardt the epitome of evil, yeah. He's, uh, uh, there was just something about him that you just, you just knew he was bad. If you can't take the desire out of the offender, then let's take the offender out of society. If you can't take the desire out of the offender, then let's take the offender out of society. All right, so this week we are doing the Rockhampton Rapist, and we virtually travel down to Rockhampton, Queensland, Australia, which Rockhampton is one of the oldest cities in Queensland, and it's in northern Australia. 
It, at the time, was a quiet town of around 60,000 residents with a relatively low crime rate. But then this killer pops onto the scene and women start disappearing. And uh, that's it. Okay. We, we come to find out that that's because all it takes is one. All it takes is one of these, these uh, creeps creeping around your community to turn it on its head. That's right. And, you know, every community has at least one. Oh, yeah. You Probably more. But, yeah, at least oh, one. Oh, yeah. I know. If you think about large metropolitan areas, how many serial killers do you think are active in them right now? Minimum three, four, maybe more. Who knows? Yeah. Who knows? It's terrifying to think of. But just, you know, statistically, even if it's yeah, I mean, Even if it's just a gang member who, who was killed multiple times drive-by shootings things like that still serial killer that's not it doesn't really i guess so fit the mold so. of what you think of when you think of a serial killer you know just got done yeah, watching the, the Dahmer series you got to check that out if you haven't dude i will i oh will my God. I definitely will wow <laughs> that is a ride pretty intense huh it's intense and the guy that they got to play Dahmer though that dude's he amazing he killed Ethan it. something, right? Yeah. I can't remember his last name. I'm blanking on it. Dude, dude the way it's directed and the way, like, the actors and everything, you it's so well done that you feel like you're one of the victims. It's fucking creepy. Oh, jeez. Yeah. Now, I was talking with Andy about it a little bit. He said that they tend to focus on the victims more, which is pretty cool. They did, yeah. They did. It really did. There's there's an entire episode about one of his victims where they, you really get to know the victim before he even oh, meets Dahmer. And so like when he meets him, you're like, no, you know, you're like, don't no, go in there. <laughs> turn around. <laughs> don't do this. Oh God. Yeah. I don't know if yeah. that's better or not. Shit. It's good. I mean, I'm it's good to an extent. They need, yeah. I mean, it, it definitely like, also it sheds light on how it just affects everyone though. Like you feel for his father throughout the whole thing. His dad was the dad mm. from Step Brothers, that actor. Yeah. And he's just like heartbroken the whole time. Like, how did my son become like this? And like, so it's like, you feel for him. You also feel more obviously for the victims, families and stuff too. But of course, anyways, gosh, that's yeah. not, we're not I'm doing not. that case, but uh, I no, definitely no, no, recommend no. it. Definitely recommend it before it gets Check taken out. off Netflix. Cause it's been quite controversial so far <laughs> since it got, that's put right. Up there. And, it, and if you've already watched it, check out our Dahmer episode. Yes. It should be here on the free platform as well. Yeah. If not, it's definitely on Patreon. Yeah. All right. So Rockhampton, Australia, we have a young girl, uh, Natasha Ann Ryan, that goes missing at 14 years old. She was born in 1984 to Robert and Jennifer Ryan. She had an older sister, Donna, and when she was seven, she got a younger brother named Chris. At some point in Natasha's early teens, her parents got divorced, and her father moved three hours south with his new wife. And Natasha would stay in Rockhampton with her mother and siblings. But uh, she became a troubled youth you know, perhaps she took the divorce too hard or she was just generally a troubled child. But for whatever reason, Natasha was a particularly difficult teenager. And by 1998, when Natasha was 14, she would fight with her mother frequently and was doing poorly in school. Mm. She was also using various drugs and even once tried cutting her own wrists. Wow. And on more than one occasion, she had run away from home, uh, but was usually found within a day or so hiding out at a friend's house before being brought back home. But uh, in, in the early summer of 1998, she told her mother she was taking the dog out for a walk and didn't return. On this occasion, she would be found two days later in a hotel room with her much older boyfriend, Scott Black, who was 22 years old at the time and worked as a milkman. Now, she's 14. Oh. So, obviously, him being 22 is an issue in most societies. Yeah, uh, it's a pretty big red flag there. They had met, yeah, they had met uh, earlier that year, and the two had become inseparable. And, of course, Natasha's parents didn't approve of the relationship due to the age difference. Uh, Scott was arrested 
yeah and now she runs off and disappears with them for a couple days and they are found in a hotel room oh and so following this instant uh instance um scott would be arrested and charged with abduction and obstructing an investigation due to lying to police about natasha's whereabouts oh so okay he would be released on bond and was awaiting trial uh surely facing some jail time and he claimed that he had only taken her because it was threatened. She was threatening to kill herself if he didn't, which may be true. That, I was about still, to say that twenty two and she's fourteen. You gotta you gotta cut this off. Yeah, that's not that's not that absurd. I, I could definitely see her no. pulling that card to try to get away from her family at this time. She's you know, and it's a yeah. tough time anyway when your parents are going through divorce. Do you feel? You know, I think there's a certain feeling that a lot of kids feel like, am I not enough to stay together? You know what I mean? So they feel like. Yeah. You know, they're just under the impression that their parents lost a little bit of love for them. So they're looking for it somewhere else. And when you can find someone who seems a little more older, someone able to support you, you know, it's easy to fall into their arms. But yeah, this is definitely the 22 year old's responsibility to cut this shit off. Yeah. Yeah. Never should have happened in the first place. Exactly. But, uh, exactly. So following uh, Scott Black's arrest and, you know, he's released on bond, awaiting trial and all that, Natasha, uh, her mother noticed a change in her behavior after that latest runaway and her boyfriend's subsequent arrest. She returned to school and stopped insisting on seeing Scott and it seemed as though her mother had finally gotten through to her. Mm -hmm. Then on August 31st, 1998, Jennifer took Natasha. So uh, Natasha's mom took her to school and dropped her off at the entrance but that evening, she didn't arrive home. And by the next morning, her mother reported her missing again. Oh, no. And days would turn into weeks. Weeks would turn into months. And Natasha's parents pleaded to the public for help locating their daughter. Mm-hmm. Um, all she had with her on the day that she disappeared was her school clothes and backpack. So the idea that she could be gone for months with only those things. And she had no money. You know, there was no... she Without being supported by someone, This, yeah, you know, she couldn't survive on her own. Exactly. I'm just sitting here thinking, man, she just told them whatever they need, they wanted to hear, you know? Yeah. This just goes to show, like, it's, it's it's tough. Those teenage years, those kids, like, guaranteed your kid is lying to you about something. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's so terrifying as a yeah. parent. And she told them just whatever they yeah, wanted to hear. There's a bit of boy who cried wolf here, too, because, you know, she's already run away several times. So when, uh, when Natasha's parents go to the police yet again for her, you know, disappearing, mm, they're like, point. well, this girl's run away several times. Yep. It didn't seem possible for her to get along so long without help, or was there the possibility that something bad had happened to her? And, you know, the boy who cried wolf thing backfired. Mm. So that happens. She's missing. And then 39-year-old Julie Turner went missing from Rockhampton on December 28th. So later that year, the same year, 1998, she had been out partying with some friends at a nightclub until the early hours of that morning. Something happened to her on her walk home. She decided to walk home from that club. She didn't want to spend the money for a taxi. And disappeared without a trace. Ooh. So that was in, de- in late December. Okay. Then 36-year-old Beverly Lego was from Mount Morgan and had recently moved to Rockhampton. She was last seen alive on March 1st, 1999 in front of the Bank of Queensland. Okay, so, so just three months. A few months after that. Yeah, three months later, right? December of 98. Three months later. To March yep. of 99. So it's, okay. Mm-hmm. It's about every three months right now is what we're seeing. And escalating because then in one month after that, Uh-oh. 19-year-old Sylvia Benedetti was last seen alive at the Rockhampton Mall on April 18th, 1999. So okay. the frequency is speeding up. Yes. Clearly a predator was prowling Rockhampton and making women disappear. The police started to uh, you know, be concerned for their community. Yeah. Where the fuck is Scott? Down on a, huh? Yeah. Scott Black. Yeah. Where the fuck's this guy? 
Still awaiting trial, I believe. Oh, I don't know. Okay. Or maybe he was actually locked up by now. I don't know. Then on April 22nd, 1999, nine-year-old Kira Steinhardt was walking in North Rockhampton, Rock, walking to her primary school, Rockhampton Primary School. Mm-hmm. So a nine-year-old girl walking to school. It was only the second week that her parents had allowed her to start making the 30-minute journey on her own. Ooh, that's a long walk for a nine-year-old. Yeah. Even in yeah. the 90s, man. Even in the 90s. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. She wanted to ride her bike like the other kids, but her stepfather said it was too dangerous um, because he didn't want her getting hit by a car. And she knew she had it drilled into her not to talk to any strangers and just to, you know, basically beeline it straight to school and not making any stops talking to anyone. Right. However, there was a pretty sketchy part that she would walk through. There was like this wooded, overly grown grass area that she would cut through as a shortcut to get to school. Oh, no. And... Several onlookers watched as the little blonde girl walked through an overgrown field. So there was like, uh, you know, a neighborhood that backed up to this patch of woods. And there was, you know, there was one home in particular that had like a little porch, like balcony that this couple would sit out and have their coffee every morning. And they watched as the little girl walked uh, one morning to school and they noticed that there was, uh, you know, an older man following her from a distance. Uh Um he was a, th- a thin blonde man smoking a hand-rolled cigarette. And after she walked by and he was following her, he returned in the, in the, you know, back the direction in which they had come a few minutes later. Okay. And they didn't think much of it. And I, I think, I believe the wife of the couple, she was like, oh, it must be her father just following her to make sure she gets to school safely. Right, right. Um, From a distance, uh, creepily smoking a cigarette yeah. with a trench coat and a mask. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, right. <laughs> Yeah, he definitely looked like a sketchy character, though. Right, right. He, he had, you know, um, he was kind of covered in shitty tattoos and just looked, he just looked rough. Okay. So she was definitely on high alert. But, you know, this happens. The girl gets to school. And then the next day, though, the same scenario. They're sitting, you know, this couple sitting on their porch. She sees the little girl walking. She sees the guy trailing behind again. However, on this occasion, the man catches up to the young girl raises up his arms and at this point the wife was sitting on the porch and the husband had gone inside for something unfortunately oh no and so he'd like run inside to like put the, the tea kettle on or something like that and the wife watches as the the man catches up raises up his arms and and bashes this little girl over the head with either his fists or with an object she goes to the ground he's crouched over her and the wife begins calling out to her husband like hey come here i just witnessed something and oh he's God. not really like he's like are you sure like She's probably questioning what she just saw too. You imagine witnessing this? Oh, like, I know. In a other how bizarre. I mean, otherwise, in a neighborhood that's so safe that you know kids walk thirty minutes to school yeah. on their own, like yeah, 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 it's terrifying. So, yeah. So the husband comes out after the man had already like crouched over and uh, walked away back the same direction of which they had come yet again. Okay. And so the husband goes out into the field to like look around to see if he sees the little girl in the call, in the tall grass, but couldn't couldn't find her. Yeah, no and kidding. They watched then from their porch as the man drove his car, a maroon colored car, into the field, uh, somewhere where people don't typically drive, especially cars, right. and uh, loads uh, what appears to be the girl into the trunk. He wraps her in his t shirt, takes his t shirt off, wraps her body up in it, and puts it in the trunk, and then drives away. Okay. And yeah. and the, this couple is watching all of this? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Why and is no one on the phone yet? And, Are they in the phone? <laughs> well, listen, the community was quite upset with this couple because it took them up to 40 minutes to call the police Jesus following this because they were in such a state of disbelief and shock of what they had just witnessed. 
Oh my God. Yeah. Nonetheless, the community upset at them or not, they they had such a you know detailed description of this man in his car that the police knew right away who it was. They were aware of a man who had come into their community not long before and made his presence known yeah. and had a criminal, a very violent criminal history against women and whatnot. And with this description of him and his car, the quick the police were quickly able to apprehend 47 year old Leonard Fraser who had spent 20 of the 20 preceding 22 years behind bars for rape of women. Oh my God. And so this guy was already well known to this community. He's the last guy you want moving into your town. He had been from town to town, uh, in in Northern Australia, it seems, and had made his presence known right away in these different communities. And let's get into Leonard Fraser, our serial killer this week. He was born on June 27th, 1951 and shares a birthday with Toby McGuire, Helen Keller and Khloe Kardashian. Hmm. Okay. Quite a group. Yeah, quite a group. Quite a group. Um, not a yep. huge fan of any of them, I guess. I mean, Helen <laughs> Keller, great. Amazing. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Every time I hear the story of Helen Keller, I'm just like, damn, that's amazing. You taught someone who yeah. can't hear or speak or see, or I mean, she could make noises, but she doesn't know what they are, how to communicate. Yeah. That's absolutely incredible. Like, imagine what yeah. she'd have been capable of if she could just see. Or here, either one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Holy yeah. shit. Yeah. Incredible. <clears throat> and then Toby Maguire, you know. Yeah. OG he, Spider-Man. Yeah, he's okay. Yeah, he's fine. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so Leonard was born in Ingram, or Ingham, Queensland, and was the fourth of five children. His mother was a stay-at-home housewife, and his father was a machinist and World War II veteran that was rarely at home. So he didn't have much of a, you know, a fatherly presence around in the home. Right. And young Leonard would struggle in school. He found it hard to focus and was thought to have a low intelligence by his teachers. Mm. He also has had a speech impediment, which further frustrated him. Mm. Kind of common for serial killers, right? They have some kind of disability early on. Absolutely. Speech impediment or a limp or something that kids pick on them, especially in the days where it was very common to just brutalize children. Oh, each God, other, You know, yeah. all the kids in the schoolyard. God, yeah. And then it, there wasn't so much anti-bullying, uh, Right. Awareness right. going around at the time. And then this kid probably had ADD or something. And in the 90s, they're just like, sit still, pay attention. What's the matter with yeah. you? <laughs> yeah. Take your Ritalin. <laughs> well, shit, this is, he was a kid back in, he was born in 51. Oh, so you're talking, shit. it was oh, late man. 50s, early 60s that he yeah. was dealing with this. Yeah. Yeah. If you had ADD, you were just a piece of shit back then. You just can't learn. You're dumb. <laughs> well, like his own teachers said, he's just a, he's just of low intelligence. That's all it is. Mm. Okay. So not getting much help from school, he would drop out at 14 and his parents made him begin working. And at the time they were living in New South Wales. And it wasn't long before his troublemaking streak reared its head again. Getting caught stealing at age 15, he was sent to a boys reform school for a year where much like uh, our boy Carl Panzram uh-huh. over there here, he learned, learned uh, might makes right it is basically the same thing he learned in boys reform school. Oh, perfect. He would be... He would be raped by bigger, older boys and in mm. turn did the same to smaller boys while in this reform school. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's some that's some reform there. Huh. Mm-hmm. And then what's next? A, pris- a short prison stint and then he probably did some time in the military or something? <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> you know the deal. <laughs> so fresh out of the boys' school, Leonard assault- assaulted a railway guard and received a two-year bond. And from this point on, he would be in and out of prison for the remainder of his life. He would move to King's Cross in Sydney in 1972 at age 21, where he became a pimp and frequent uh, drug and alcohol abuser. Wow. So 
Okay. Just learning the street life early on, well, in and out of uh, different penitentiaries and reform schools. And well, what do you expect when you tell the kid at 14 that he's an idiot and he should just go to work? Yeah. I mean, that's basically what was done. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that doesn't go over well. And yeah, and very little influence from a father in the house who was always gone. Right. Mother dealing with five children uh, as a stay-at-home housewife. Yeah, so. they were probably like, the sooner you can carry your own weight, the better. Yeah. So he would do a year for robbery and was released in 19, uh, 1974. Three weeks after his release, he would commit a series of random sex attacks on women in the street, leaving his wallet behind at the final one leading to his arrest. Ah, so his gets. wallet fell out at one. What a rookie move. Seriously, who takes their wallet to a murder? What an yeah, idiot. On a rape, on a series of rapes. Fucking like idiot. This final attack was on a French tourist who was uh, beaten so badly that she needed surgery and was left unable to have children. So an absolutely just vicious attack, this one that he left his wallet at the scene. Well, probably because she fought back, maybe. Maybe that's why it was so brutal. Oh, that definitely definitely set him off. Yeah. As we'll see see, uh, from his own confessions later on that if a woman refused him, it would enrage him and he would become extremely violent. Yep. And then you lose control and then you do something stupid like leave your wallet at the scene. Or... Right. Yeah. Leonard would confess to this attack and was convicted and sentenced to 21 years in prison. And while in prison, he would be evaluated and diagnosed as a classic psychopath, which had no known treatment at the time. I'm not sure if there even still is to this day for like actual legit uh, psychopaths i mean they're pretty rare i mean they basically just sedate but, these people right i mean yeah just lock them away and sedate them like yeah uh, here take your downers play some chess yeah i, I don't know right so uh b- despite being sentenced to 21 years for these attacks he was released after only seven years uh in 1981 after serving the minimum sentence and after being diagnosed as a classic psychopath they, they let him out uh, with only serving a third of his sentence for whatever reason well, after already having quite a track record at a young age of you know a yeah. brutal attacks on women and violent attacks right well maybe in australia they're more about reform right kind of like they are in like danish countries you know it's like nobody mm-hmm. serves life it's like the longest yeah. sentence you can serve i think it's like 20 years or something like that Right. That's crazy. It's all about rehabilitating. Yeah, maybe. But we know about serial uh, sex offenders. Yeah. That they will continue to do so unless you, like, castrate them and pill them up enough to where they're, like, a shell of themselves. I was about to say, I don't know if it can't be done, but I have yet to witness a rehabilitated right. sex offender. So, mm-hmm. doesn't look good. He, So, he would, uh, after serving his seven years of his 21-year sentence, he would then move to Mackey, Queensland, and find work as a laborer. A year later, he would attack a woman at her own home by pretending to show interest in a car she had for sale. Oh, that classic. Amazingly, yeah. Amazingly, even with his prior record of violent assaults, having been sentenced to 21 years for a series of rapes and only serving seven, he received a two-month jail sentence for aggravated assault after assaulting a woman in her own home. Unbelievable. A random attack in her own home, and you get two months. Yep. What in the hell? This should have been like, okay, we gave you a chance. We, you know, you had your chance to rehabilitate yourself. You got a very lenient seven years out of 21. Yeah. And then you go and attack a woman at her home. That's it. Like, Immediately. Um, You'll never see the light of day again. That should have been it. And they're like, all right, listen, we're going to give you two more months. Now you better not do this shit again. <laughs> right. Oh, damn. Bad boy. Right? Yeah. What a slap on the wrist. 
Put this motherfucker yeah. away. So following this instant incident, uh, Leonard would meet a woman named Pearl, and they began having a serious relationship. And he would uh, imp- maintain full-time employment for the first time in his life as a laborer oh, wow. for the railway. Okay. His life settled down, and for the next three years, he seemed to be on the straight and arrow. arrow. Um, Leonard and Pearl, who would live together and had a daughter together, uh, and he also had to play the role of stepfather to her son from a prior marriage. So he's got this little family life going for a few years, tries to tries to keep it together. Mm-hmm. But in 1985, the monster inside of him returned, okay. and he began stalking a woman for days as she walked on the beach alone. He then struck raping her in broad daylight and was uh, quickly identified by police and sentenced to another 12 years in prison. So, the judge deeming him, quote, an, un- an ongoing menace to society. Yeah, you're just now figuring that shit out? But look, yeah, how did we it We should take- have known this a while back. <laughs> right? So he, you're saying, as far as we know, he went straight for three years? Yeah. No attacks? Well, as far as we know. As I far mean, as we knows? know. He might, yeah. Yeah. yeah, that seems really implausible. I just don't I don't see mm-hmm. that happening. Three years for a guy like this? Man. Yeah, and he's the type of guy we would learn later that would only confess to shit that they had, like, absolute damning evidence on. Mm-hmm. You know, like, he's not the type to, like, give up more than he needs to. So he's very possible during that three years that he had attacked women at night. Oh, very you know, possible. And they just never found the attacker. And know. I think a lot of these killers, they like to use this information as, you know, back pocket shit later on somebody wants closure yeah. to a case they're like all right well how about yeah. this much off my sentence and then i'll tell you about that one mm-hmm. so but if you give them everything up front you you've laid all your cards on the table you get you get what you got so far and that's it but yeah. i think a lot of these dudes they're thinking about that especially yeah, yeah they like to hold hold their cards yeah close to the vest and only only play the ones they need to yeah exactly time. because you have those others saved just in case yeah. for a deal in the future a lighter sentence whatever it may be What's up, creepers? I really need to take a minute to tell you about a brand new podcast called Faceless. Once I heard the trailer, I knew this show was going to be intense. So naturally, I binged the first two episodes that night. And let's just say, it wasn't just the sweat of weather giving me chills, okay? Faceless is brought to you by USG Audio and focuses on a murder that took place in December of 2000 when an unknown male broke into a suburban Tokyo home and ruthlessly slaughtered an entire unsuspecting family of four. Now what makes the story even more disturbing is that after the killer slayed the family, he made himself at home by staying the night. Follow along with host Nicholas O'Brien as he goes on a deep dive journey into this unsolved, cold-blooded case to unravel a paradox through multiple theories and details, finding himself on the trail of new leads, with one suggesting that the suspected killer might be from a little-known American town. So what are you waiting for? Start binging now. Well, after this episode, of course. And look for new episodes, dropping every Tuesday. Listen and subscribe to Faceless on usgaudio.com. That's usgaudio.com or wherever you get your podcast. So while serving this latest 12-year sentence in prison, he was given the nickname by other inmates of Lenny the Loon. Mm, so fitting. When other inmates say you're crazy, you're pretty That's crazy. That's not good. That's not good. Right. This time, uh, there was no early release, and Leonard spent every second of his 12-year sentence behind bars. They, they really held him until the final moments Yeah, just because they knew what they had, and it's, 12 years was just not enough. He needed life at this point. Yes, he deserves life at this point. 
he's shown us time and time again he's not going to stop. No. The second you release him, he's going to go back to doing what he did. No doubt. The the wife for three years that was just for appearances. Yeah, that's all that was about. So following his release from the 12-year sentence, in January of 1997, Leonard settled down in Yapoon with a woman named Marie who was terminally ill with cancer. And when he, this is something he liked to do. He targeted basically, uh, you know, easy targets, people who were disabled, mm -hmm. people that couldn't fight back, children, okay. as we see right. with the nine-year-old. Um, so when Marie made her final trip to the hospital, this is her final day. She knows that the cancer is, you know, taking her life and she goes to the hospital and she knows she's not coming out. She tells him like this, I'm not coming back home. This is it. Leonard would follow her to the hospital. And while at the premises, he would take her to the chapel on the grounds, lock her inside and rape her mm. before, you know, so basically in her final days, when she's at her weakest, he takes advantage of her Jeez. and she would die shortly thereafter. He would then move to Mount Morgan, a small mining town. Just after arriving in town, he made his presence known to local police. One of the first things he did was poke his head inside of a police car while two officers sat inside and said, my name is Leonard Frazier. Where, how are the women in this town? Holy shit. The balls yeah. on this guy. Just absolute wow. no fucks given. And so when these two officers got back to the precinct and looked up his record, they couldn't believe what they were reading. Officers in Mount Morgan, along with other members of the community, would eventually force Leonard out of town, but by then he'd already done a ton of damage to the women and young girls of this community. Mm. So, you know, they see this track record of just absolute, like, you know, decade sentence after decade sentence yeah. for violent rapes and things on women. God, dude. Um, police would find out that he had targeted any vulnerable females, disabled women, underage girls, even dr often drugging them and raping them at knife point in his own home. In late 1998, Leonard moved again, this time to Rockhampton. And he moves in with a woman named Christine who was intellectually disabled. Mm -hmm. And it was not long after moving in with Christine in Rockhampton that he murdered nine-year-old Kira Steinhardt, Steinhardt. And that's when, you know, he was arrested. That's where we started. Final time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Police quickly apprehend Leonard and talk to his girlfriend, Christine, and she tells them that the day that Kira went missing, that he had taken her for a drive to a remote location where she saw him remove a doll-like object from the trunk of the car. And so police, you know, have her lead them to where she says this happened, but um, she's uh, intellectually disabled and she's unable to take them to the location successfully. They're unable to find the body until 13 days later when Leonard finally agreed to take them where he had dumped her. And it turns out he had deliberately staged a fake dumping of the body with Christine as to buy himself more time. Basically, he wow. he must have taken like a doll or who knows what and dumped it at this location knowing that she would then tell police. And it bought him more time because he was always under the impression that if a body had been exposed to the elements for you know more than a couple of weeks, that it would be too late to extract any DNA from it. Yeah. And so that was his whole goal. Oh, okay. And so, so he thought he just needed to buy himself two weeks. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So one day after her body was found, he was charged with abduction, rape, and murder. And police gathered 340 pieces of total forensic evidence <laughs> trying, tying him to the crime. <laughs> So there was basically this girl's Good. hair all over different parts of his car, like in his trunk and even in the front of the car. Yeah. There was blood everywhere, all kinds of stuff. You know, maybe his teacher was right. Um, he is of low intelligence. Yes. Lucky gayest. Yeah. <laughs> Police then fi began finding ties to the other missing women from Rockhampton. They find Sylvia Benedetti's DNA in his car. 
And Sylvia was also known to occasionally hang out with Leonard, so there was another tie there. Mm-hmm. Police found many trophies of his victims in his in his home and ponytails from three different women as well, which is super creepy. They were like roughly cut off as well, like with a knife. Oh, of course. Probably just all at once so, with scissors. Just Yeah. Or just sawed off with a knife. Yeah, possibly. While in prison awaiting trial for Kira Steinhardt's murder, Leonard would run into an old prison buddy named Alan Quinn. So they had spent some time together. Obviously, uh, Leonard had spent at least half of his life at this point in prison. So you're going to make a few comrades in that time. (laughs) Most likely. And so they're, they're back reunited in prison together, and Lenny and Alan would begin taking frequent walks together around the yard. On these walks, Leonard divulged to Alan that he was considering trying to get an insanity plea for Kira's murder. Since he knew that they had they had enough evidence to convict him, his only chance was convincing them that he was crazy. Um, okay. Quinn, Quinn, meanwhile, this buddy of his, was taking notes and relaying the information to police. Ah. So he was becoming an, an informant for them. Right. And with information gained from Quinn, police were able to piece together what happened to Sylvia Benedetti, this other woman that they had the DNA in his car. It turns out through you know through the two of these guys talking, right. you know Quinn was able to basically get the story of what happened. Apparently, he had lured her to a derelict, now demolished hotel, the Queensland Hotel, oh, okay. and to a, to room thirteen. Of course, it's got to be room thirteen, right? Of course. Um, and this was with promises of an ounce and a half of marijuana. That son you of know, a bitch. He had this weed up there, right? How dare you? Seriously. Um, once. In, once inside the room, he had apparently made a, a pass at her, and she turned him away, and he then, in turn, brutally raped and murdered her to the point where when police went to this room, and this is an abandoned hotel, yeah. but when they went to this room 13 in this hotel, it was like the movie from hell, like just blood spattered up onto the roof, like just an absolute horror scene. Oh, my God. Yeah, absolute brutal brutal murder he knew he was going down Uh, at this point you know he knew he had nothing to lose he said fuck it yeah oh my gosh and then this woman made him mad too turning down his advances Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so in september of 20 of 2000 leonard was found guilty of nine-year-old kira's murder and sentenced to life without the possibility of parole and now locked away forever leonard began giving maps to alan quinn who would allegedly lead police to the other uh missing girls from rockhampton so he gives some maps. Some of them were correct. Some of them were false because at this point he was kind of toying with both Quinn and the police, knowing that Quinn was working with the police. Right. And so he was still playing games, but they were able to, uh, you know, some of that, like I said, some of the maps were legit, some weren't. Um, but now under the, under the guise of writing a book about Leonard Frazier, him and Alan would sit down together and basically, you know, Alan, uh, Alan Quinn is gathering information for this book that he's going to write supposedly, but he's actually wearing a wire and recording Lenny's confessions, uh, and, re- and giving this right to the police. And he starts getting more information about these murders that he had done. Uh, like the murder of Julie Turner, who he said that he struck in the back of the head without saying a word to her. Mm-hmm. And with Beverly Lego, he said that, uh, they were driving and he put his hand on her leg. She swiped it away and he lashed out beating her and and ultimately killing her. Mm. So on December 22nd, 2000, Leonard agreed to fly with police back to Rockhampton and take them to the locations of his victims' bodies. He would lead them to Julie, Beverly, and Sylvia's bodies. And he remembered easily how to get there because he, much like Ted Bundy, had frequently returned to visit their bodies and may or may not have continued to engage in necrophilia with them. 
he was no stranger to that because several of his victims he had raped after they were already dead. He had no qualms about that. And he kept mementos and stuff. A lot of that stuff goes hand in hand. If they're keeping mementos, mementos, then they're revisiting the body and the burial sites pretty often. Yeah. But what about Natasha Ryan? He was not able to lead them to her body. The 14-year-old that never came home from school that we've started this this case with. Mm. Leonard had at this point confessed to killing her and allegedly multiple witnesses had seen them together in each other's company. He claimed to have stabbed her and dumped her body in a remote part of Rockhampton after learning that she was pregnant with his baby. Yet he was unable to lead police to her body like he had the others. Police nonetheless charged him with her murder as well as the other three that he had been able to lead them to. And now facing four more murder charges, Leonard brought out his alter ego, Squeaky, who he claimed helped him hide the body. So this is his uh, Hail Mary attempt at an insanity plea, he's going to make up an alter ego named Squeaky. Please tell me he used a squeaky really, voice to do it. Oh, God, I hope not. <laughs> well, I kind of hope he did, but I hope he didn't at the same time. It's the cringe Hi, factor. Leonard, I is, know where you hit the bodies. <laughs> that's almost as cringy as Russell Wilson in his Subway commercial. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh. So, yeah, he's trying to basically make this this alter ego who is culpable for these crimes and like you know, hiding the bodies and things like that. He snaps out of his thing of being squeaky. And yeah, of obviously the, the courts and the jury is not buying. And on April know. of 2003, Lenny stood in the court again and entered a plea of not guilty for the murders of Julie Turner, Beverly Lego, Natasha Ryan, and Sylvia Benedetti, even after leading them to police to, to the bodies wow. of three of the four. Yeah, kind of awkward. But on day nine of the trial, a shocking new development turned everything on its head. The court would receive, and they would, uh, you know, go into recess early during the, on this day because they would receive information that ta- Natasha Ryan, the supposed <laughs> first of Leonard's murder victims, had been found alive and well. Say what now? Natasha, in 2003, <laughs> was now 19 years old and had spent the prior five years in hiding at her older boyfriend Scott Black's house. Oh my God, since. fucking Scott Black. He had her the whole Scott time. Black. I told you to watch Scott You knew Scott he Black. was going to come back in this episode. You knew I it. I knew it. I was like, we need to go check out Scott Black. There's something going on there. Yeah. God damn it. And, and, a, and in about the most rare situation you can imagine in a murder trial, one of the murder victims makes an appearance and testifies to the fact that she is not in fact murdered, that she is alive and well, and that she had never seen Leonard Fraser's face oh uh, until he was on television uh, as a serial killer, basically. And that's when the pressure was on because there was, it seemed as though there was a few people like maybe members of Scott Black's family that was aware that she was hiding out at his house all this time. Yeah, And they just, at this point when this whole, they're seeing that she's, part of a murder trial that she was supposedly murdered they they finally basically forced them to like okay that's enough with this fucking lie and and she Natasha Ryan would come out and say that the lie just got too big like at a certain point it was like she felt so terrible coming out about it because it had be, become this big thing yeah. you know the, probably the first few months she was just happy to be away from her home life and whatever but then it just became this mon- massive thing where she was assumed murdered and everything yeah and she was like I'm just gonna start a new life yeah she was basically staying in the home like hiding in there and like living on the internet and she had gone on a few trips to the beach out of state and that was about it that was the only time she left that house oh my god that five-year period so so scott black was but it had he wasn't been a like relief holding for her, her right against her wheel he wasn't holding her against her no, wheel or anything she was, she was just she was willingly there nonetheless of course he's gonna face trouble for that right it looks like kidnapping right if the parents press charges yeah yeah it looks like yeah. kidnapping 
Because she was a 14 at the time that yeah. he, you know, held her up for the first four years of it. She wasn't even Either old way, enough to make her own decisions yeah. as far as law goes. It's like, sorry, Scott, bro. Either way, though, you're 22 having sex with a 14-year-old. Like, yes. yeah, sorry, bro. Yeah. And hiding her out from her family yeah. and participating in that, aiding and abetting her. Yeah. It's kind of creepy. So, so Leonard was obviously immediately acquitted for her murder charge. However, the rest of the trial went on uh, unabated with Alan Quinn as the star witness, the man that was in prison with him and getting all these details and confessions. Right. And on May 9th, 2003, Leonard would be found guilty of murdering Beverly Lego and Sylvia Benedetti. He would receive manslaughter for killing Julie Turner because the jury actually believed that he hadn't intended to kill her and that it was an accidental murder, I suppose, which is absurd in my opinion. And which one was that? That would be Julie Turner. I think she was the one that was on the beach that he stalked. Or no, that was actually, he didn't kill that one. Okay. This is the one that he just like struck her from behind when she, and he didn't say a word to her. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. I'm not sure where that murder took place or manslaughter, I should say. Right, right. It seems kind of ridiculous, right? It does. Like, what a slap in the face of her family. Like, if you, uh, I don't if get you it. start your encounter with someone with knocking them over the head, then you had nefarious yeah. intentions. And they end up dying. That's murder. That's murder. Like, come on. Absolutely. It's not like you accidentally, you know, turn, hit somebody with your car on accident. That's manslaughter. Yeah. Like, exactly. Two different things here. Yeah. So, Leonard Fraser was being held at the Wollston Correctional Center, and after complaining of chest pains, he was taken to a secure sec uh, section of the Princess Alexander Hospital in, ooh, this is a good Australian name, oh. Wollongaba. Wollongaba. Hey, Wollongaba, mate. Wow. Wollongaba. He was taken to Wollongaba. <laughs> and on twenty on December 26, 2006, the day after Christmas, he died of a heart attack on January 1st, 2007. So starting out the new year dead. It's the best way for a serial killer, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Now listen to this final detail, though. We, we zoomed right through this case. There's like, uh, this is all meat, right. very little potatoes yeah, here. Yeah, seriously. But I'm going to leave you with this creepy detail. That just to show you that this thing is not—it's not done yet. Um, there's going to probably be more victims attributed to him later on. Uh oh. Obviously, I'm sure they've kept his DNA after his death, right? So they can, you know, follow up with things. But eerily, after test uh, testing the roughly chopped off ponytails that were found in Leonard's Rockhampton home, forensics would determine that none of the three ponytails belonged to any of his known victims. Uh oh. So, who knows who those ponytails belong to if there's more bodies out there. And like I said, he's only giving up, he's only giving up stuff that they have like in, you know, basic conclusive evidence that he did. Yeah. He's, he hasn't, he hasn't like gone out and just said I, and given them more victims for no reason. Right. So. That's what I'm saying. Those, and now he's dead. So it's the three beyond. years, the three years, man, that's just sus for me. Three years mm -hmm. with no, no murders, no rapes. I just, that's just, it's, I don't think that's possible for him. Yeah. For a repeat offender like yeah. this, all this time in prison, you still can't straighten mm -hmm. out yeah. all these different opportunities. But whew, what a crazy case, dude. Well told, too. Yeah. I like the way you unfolded everything. I like that. I like being able to experience it. <laughs> yeah, it was, a, it was an interesting ride, wasn't it? Indeed. Indeed. Great case, man. Was this right. suggested or you just found this one? No, I just found this one. Right on. Right on. Yeah. Well, all right, guys. Well, there it is. The Rockhampton Rapist. Yeah. All right. You know what else you need to find? You need to find some oh my guy in your pits. You do. 
you'll be glad. <laughs> you'll be extremely glad. I can. Yeah, they they stink. Let's be honest. Your, your pits could smell better, and you're putting aluminum and yeah, and and antiperspirants are are not. They're not the real deal, man. They're That's not. it's bad to try and try and stop your your body from sweating. It's supposed to sweat. Yes, you're clogging up your pores and creating more damage. Right. By trying to stop yourself from sweating, just make it smell pleasant when you sweat. There you go. People really aren't turned off that much by sweat. It's mainly just the smell. And if you got some, oh yeah. my guy, you ain't got to worry about that. And you ain't got to worry about clogging your pores when your body's trying to remain healthy and get rid of toxins. Yep. Oh My Guy is an innovative, all-natural deodorant, fragrance, and beard oil company specializing in paraben and aluminum-free products. Their innovative line of deodorants inhibit the growth of odor-causing bacteria while still maintaining effectiveness. And at Oh My Guy, they use only all-natural paraben and aluminum-free organic ingredients. Guys, there is tons of scents to choose from. You can check it out on ohmygaia.com. There's vanilla, cherry almond, sandalwood, lavender, lemongrass, Egyptian musk, coconut, dreamsicle, leather, lumberjack, honeysuckle, fireside, bergamot, amber, pear, sweet pea, sailor, barbershop. We have our very own scent called True Crime Pine. So if you don't know where to start, that is a great place. It's a nice unisex scent. goes with everybody. There's beard oils available as well as scented oils um, in all of these scents. But True Crime Pine... It has our old school True Crime Guys logo right there on the jar. Pretty cool. Um, pretty cool little thing that Wendy put together for us years ago. But because you're True Crime Guys listeners, you can use the word creeper for 15% off your order. That's C-R-E-E-P-E-R for 15% off your order. And that's at shop underscore oh my Gaia on Instagram or ohmygaia.com. O-H-M-Y-G-A-I-A.com. You guys won't regret it. Code word creeper. Nope. You also will not regret checking out our other weekly sponsor, Tonic CBD. It's true. Not all CBD products are created equal. From how it's grown and processed to how it's formulated and delivered into your body, every step of the process that goes into making the product affects your ultimate experience with it. That's why Tonic's products really stand out. Founder Brittany Carbone created her own original formulas using CBD, adaptogens, herbs, and superfoods back in 2017 and has been working to deliver the most effective, intentional, and sustainable products possible. Tonic cultivates their own hemp grown on their certified organic farm in upstate New York. That hemp travels only 30 minutes to their state-of-the-art manufacturing and distribution facility where it's turned into a finished product and sent to you, ensuring only the highest quality vibes at every stage of the process. They have a bunch of different blends, including, uh, depending on your needs, Chill Tonic is my favorite. I I usually take that about 30 minutes before bed and just all my worries go away and I melt into bed and have a great night's sleep. Um, and it's easy to verify the quality of their products as well. They have a microchip in the top of their packaging that allows you to tap your phone on it, get third-party lab reports, uh, product information, details about their farm, and blog posts to provide you with education on CBD. So with quality uh, values rooted in quality, integrity, and sustainability, Tonic is committed to creating a plant-based wellness product that is good for you, good for the planet, good for the people. Visit tonicvibes.com to learn more and use code word CREEPER for 20% off your order. That is code word creeper at tonicvibes.com for 20% off. Michael is actually may or may not be partaking <laughs> in some tonic product right now. At this hey, yes, this is a CBD. Totally legal. I don't even know why I have to be all. You don't have to be. Health, this is completely uh, legal you know, in every state. be so state, cryptic about it. Right? This is really cool. Yeah. I just got these in from tonic. They're sessions pre-rolls. Yeah. These are CBG pre-rolls. Mm-hmm. Check this out. If you're watching this on our YouTube channel, you can see the packaging yep. here. And this is what Lauren's talking about. This little code right here will tell you everything that's in the product. Give it a little scan. Yep. And it'll let you know. And then it brings up a screen like this here. And it lets you know. You can click on the different strains, see exactly what is yep. in what you have. It's very cool. 
these are really cool. They come, like I said, it's five pre rolls to a little case. You can get these on at Tonic. It's really beautiful. It's almost like you don't see, even want to like. Look at this. You almost don't want to use them because it's so pretty. Oh, it's so nice. It'd be the perfect stocking stuffer with Christmas coming right? up. Right. Very nice, guys. So you're out. You can smoke these in public. You know, whatever. Yeah, and if you're the type to roll your own joints, you could then use that case afterwards to store your joints in there. Exactly. Yeah, it's a metal tin, reusable yeah. metal tin. I mean, these things are great. So. As yeah. as with all of Tonic's products, they do not skimp on the packaging. Everything looks amazing. Nope. Yep. All right. All right. So check that out and then check out Patreon if you haven't yet. Patreon.com slash true crime guys to get so much more of our content. Two dollars a month gets you access to most of it. Five dollars a month gets you access to everything we've ever made, essentially. Yes. And you can pay up front for those, $54 for a year and save 10% or $21 on the $2 tier and save 10% as well. And you're done. You don't have to worry about your card getting hit monthly. That's right. And you get 12 months of our uh, premium content over there. And also, just recently, um, I don't know if you guys have been on Patreon or not, but uh, recently Patreon has updated their terms. And it used to be that Patreon would charge patrons on the first of the month. Okay? So what happens is if you sign up on September 30th, you pay the full price for September, and then on October 1st, you have to pay again. That is how they used to be. But as of yesterday, Patreon has updated their terms, and now you will pay on whatever day you sign up. So it's, oh, it's cool. yeah, it's a little more fair now. So if you because typically you're going to sign up when you have that extra income, like that that for whatever you know your schedule of payment and stuff. Yes. I know there's times during the month that where it's tight for my wife and I as far as like oh checking's low right now because we were waiting on this right. new check to come in. And everything comes usually out you're going to sign up for things like that at a time where you have a little more expendable income. So yeah, that's how it should exactly. be. Exactly. So you can sign up on a pay week, you know what I'm saying, <laughs> and then yeah. it'll just keep drawing on that at that same time, which is nice. You don't have to worry about getting hit yeah. on the first you know when your rents due or whatever else so yeah i thought that was a pretty cool feature that patreon has uh yeah has updated so patreon.com yeah. and on Crime the five dollar tier on the five dollar tier we have a show called just the banter which we're about to record yes. after this episode ends yes where we just shoot the shit man we catch up and we answer questions from listeners and it's just uh not necessarily crime related, right. just, uh, just us hanging out and you can be a part of that over there. So that's right. Yeah, check all that out and that about does it. Hope you guys have a great week. Hope you enjoyed this episode. We'll see you next week. Keep creeping. Keep creeping, guys. True crime, guys. In the desert, we like a mirage. It's okay if you clicked on us because you thought we was true crime garage. Now we ain't mad at you. Sit down, let us talk at you. I'm talking to the creeper army. We out here making murder, get murder, get murder. In the desert, we like a mirage It's okay if you clicked on us Cause you thought we was true crime garage Now we ain't mad at you Sit down, let us talk at you I'm talking to the creeper army We out here, make it better charming From the minds of true crime guys TCG Weekly If you've enjoyed this episode Please feel free to check out all the other programs on the TCG network. Every Wednesday, a new episode of True Crime Guys proper, Strange and Unexplained on Mondays, and Full House Fantasy Football on Fridays to start your weekend. If those aren't enough, head on over to our Patreon account, where you can have access to hundreds of hours of content, including older episodes and other Patreon exclusives like Strange Shorts, Sandu Stories, Higher Thoughts, and the 5-Minute Murder Show. But until next time, guys, keep creeping. How do you, how do you shut this thing off? Over?